0: if you have your Bibles, to just leave those open, and we're going to uh, be jumping into this text and looking a little bit at some things that you guys have talked about back in chapter one. And this part of the Gospel of John is a little bit more theological. Uh, John's Gospel in general is more theological than some of the uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some of what we would call the synoptic Gospels. Um, And... Uh, but I think this passage today is gonna to be a little bit more theological because it talks about baptism. And ultimately, what I'm gonna be talking to you guys is is what do we, what do we believe about baptism? Why, why do we baptize? What are they doing here? Uh, what's going on in this text? And, and there's several things going on there, so we're gonna hang out in, in those areas. Um, I also wanna say that, uh, as, because we're gonna talk about baptism, I wanna just make a point about the title John the Baptist, okay? So, and that's confusing for a lot of folks today because John the Baptist was not denominationally Baptist, right? I mean, you guys get that, okay? And, it, and it's actually a mistranslation. It's a mistranslation that's kind of stuck. It's stuck in English culture, period, so that when, you, when, when anybody translates this now, they translate it as John the Baptist, but really it's an action modifier. It's really John the baptizer, John the one who baptizes because there's a lot of Johns in the Bible. And so when you say John did this, the question is which John? Well, it's the guy that baptizes down there, John the baptizer. And so you're gonna gonna hear me say this morning, um, unless I have a, a, a cultural slip up, I'm gonna be saying John the baptizer. And that's why I'm saying that because I wanna emphasize that activity um, and, and I, I try to make this point because honestly Baptist has a denomination they, they don't go back past the late 1600s or the early 1700s and really have their roots in a group that, uh, that we, we call the Anabaptists today but the word Anabaptist itself simply means re-baptizer because the Anabaptists were the ones who made popular the idea that you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ before you get baptized. And as a result of that, people who who came into the Anabaptist tradition, um, even though they were baptized as infants before, were rebaptized as adults, as followers of Jesus Christ, based on the commitment that they had made in their heart and in their life. And so, Baptists, and this would be all Baptists, and it would be even other denominations, other evangelical groups have their roots not in John the Baptist, but in the, uh, the Anabaptists, in the rebaptizers. Because we, we believe that a person, we believe in believer's baptism, that you need to be a believer, you need to be a follower of Christ. And, and I'll talk about why we believe that as we kind of get to the end of this section. And so all Baptists today come from the rebaptizers and not from John who baptized out there in the wilderness. And that's where our text starts this morning. There in verse 22, we find uh, uh, Jesus, who is out in the countryside, and uh, John is also out in the countryside. And John's out there, it says, where there's a lot of water. And he's doing, John's doing what John does, right? So he's, he's getting people to repent and be baptized. And actually, both, the text says that both Jesus and John are baptizing people which is interesting because this is the only place in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus' disciples, really, because he makes that point in chapter 4. Jesus' disciples were baptizing people like John and his disciples were baptizing people. And that, and that kind of raises some questions for us today. Um, uh, in verse 25, it says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, when you read that, it just sounds kind of weird. What does that have to do with anything in this text? And what you have to understand is that Jewish purification almost always involved water. So if you were going to get clean in the law, if you were going to get ready to go before the Lord, there was some kind of water in that particular ceremony. So, for example, in Leviticus 15.10, if you touched something unclean, you had to go out and you had to wash your clothes okay and then you had to take a bath yourself you had to bathe in order to be clean again and, and in, in the next chapter in chapter 16 in Leviticus if the, when the high priest uh, when he was before he would go in to do his priestly duties that only the high priest could do he had to go out and, and take a bath and to cleanse his body physically before he put on the linen garments and the special clothes that they had made for the high priest to wear um, numbers 19 uh, there's like water's mentioned like 11 times in that one chapter alone and in 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 19 there in the book of Numbers, it talks about uh, the sacrifice of the red heifer. So they would they would take a, a red cow, a red heifer uh, that had, had never never calfed before, and they would they would bring it out and they would they would burn it, okay, as a burnt offering sacrifice, but they would burn it whole. So we're talking horns and hoofs and hide. I mean the whole the whole thing was burned all the way down to ashes kind of like what we would think about in, in cremation today when someone gets cremated when they pass away, just ashes left. And then they would take those ashes and they would save the ashes of this cow in a, in a jar, a container of some kind. And then they, when someone who had touched a dead person, which, which happened in every family where someone in their family passed away, somebody had to touch the body. Somebody had to prepare them and, and, and to bury them. And everybody who had contact in that process had to be re Purified, ceremonially repurified. And so they would take this, take water, and they would take these ashes from this red heifer, and they would sprinkle them into that water, and they would use that water, which was holy ashes, into that water, which would then cleanse them, make them ceremonially pure again, so that they could come back into the camp and come back into God's people. And so um, uh, water is just part of the purification purification rituals that are in the Old Testament and so in a Jewish mind in a Jewish context when you have somebody like John who is out there and he's 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 preaching repentance and we're looking back okay we're looking back from the other side of the cross and we're thinking what John what John is doing makes perfect sense to us but from the Jewish side of the equation when the cross is still in front of them and they don't know or have any of that information yet these guys are down there and you have John who who is preaching and he's baptizing in water and they're asking them this, the, the, themselves the question what kind of a purification ritual is this that John is doing Uh, So when John the apostle, the writer of the gospel, when John the apostle says that a a discussion arises between a Jew and some of John the baptizer's disciples over purification, it's because both he and Jesus were baptizing in water, and uh, it was confusing. So the question is, why are you using water in this way? Uh, and so, cause John took the symbolism of cleansing water from the Old Testament law and he, he applied it to be a symbol of repentance for someone who had, who had said, God, uh, whatever it is, whatever's in my life that doesn't need to be there, God, I want to confess it to you. I want to repent of it because I know the Messiah is coming and I want to be ready. And this is the sign. This is the symbol that I'm ready for that. Um, Does John have the authority to change the law in this way and to make water a symbol of purification? Uh, I mean, that's the question that that was really asked in chapter 1. If you flip back in your Bible, if you've got it open back to chapter 1, and and look back in in verse 20 there, they start to ask the religious leaders, they start to ask John these questions. And, and, and And so they go to him, and he said, are you the Messiah and John says, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, are, are you Elijah then? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, well, maybe you're the prophet, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not even the prophet. And look at verse 25 there in chapter one. Their next question is, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this with water if you're not one of these people? Okay, so take that and bring it back into chapter three. And, and this discussion over purification, really, which is really a discussion over water for purification. And, and, and to complicate this more, guys, keep in mind, and we don't talk about this much, but keep in mind that John the baptizer is a priest, okay? He's born in a priestly line. And, uh, uh, and John's response to, to them when they ask him back in chapter 1, why are you baptizing? He doesn't even answer that question. He just says, I baptize with water but there's somebody coming after me. And if you read in in Luke's account or in in Mark's account, what what John says there is not just that. He says that the one coming after me, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, they didn't get that either. They didn't understand what that meant, but that's the only answer that that John gave them. And, And so John is baptizing people who have repented, who are trying to get their hearts ready for the Messiah to come, and John was clear in this. If you go back and you read his preaching through these gospels, if you haven't repented, don't get baptized. You're not ready yet, but you better get ready because the Messiah is already among you and you don't even know it. So look with me again back in chapter three at verse 26 in our text this morning. It says, they came and they being the disciples of John, they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, verse 26 is kind of the pivotal verse in this section because it it creates the opportunity for, for John... John the Apostle, in this case, who's writing this gospel, who who has gone back and selected these particular stories about Jesus' life and John the Baptist's life, he's put these particular stories together. And verse 26 is the opportunity for John the Apostle to say something significant about Jesus. And so verse 26 is the setup for what John wants to get done in this particular text. And, and um, the, the Gospel of John is famous for significant things that he says about Jesus. And he's gonna say some, some pretty significant things when we get to the end here. But, but 26 highlights this conflict. Okay, this tension that's stirred up and the the tension then shifts. It's no longer between the Jews and John and his disciples for what they're doing. It's now between the disciples of John the Baptist and what they perceive Jesus is doing. Because in this debate that they had in there with this Jew about purification, it had probably come up where he said, you know, I'm not even sure you guys should be doing that with water. And and, and it's spreading. It's not just you that's doing it anymore. Look, this other guy over there, this guy who's Jesus of Nazareth, he's doing it too. In fact, the crowds that are going to him, there's more people going to him now than there are to John the Baptist. That has set this conflict up. That's set this tension up. And I think it disturbed the disciples of John the Baptist for three reasons. And and the first of these is that John was the first one to baptize people publicly as a sign of repentance. I mean, this is his gig. He's the the innovator here. He's the one who's setting the trend. And this other guy coming along in their minds as John's disciples, this pretender guy, he's trying to take over what is really John the Baptist's ministry. Okay, and, and, and let me just tell you guys that, that, that even as believers in Christ, we get defensive about something that we feel like is our ministry and in, as if and somehow it belongs to us. Now, if you don't believe that, talk to churches who have a church get planted in the midst of their neighborhood and they weren't part of that church plant. Amen, Cody? It creates tension there. Why are you planning a church in this area where we already have a church? Secondly, God had sent John to baptize. He talks about that in chapter 1 in verse 28 here in this text. He mentions the, the, the fact that God has sent them to do this. And then thirdly, and this is the most important one, John had actually baptized Jesus, Now, I want you to think about that for a second because you're in a culture when you read the New Testament where it's always the greater who blesses the one who is the lesser. And that's what's going on between Abraham and Melchizedek, okay? And, and, and in their minds, the fact that John had baptized Jesus automatically puts him as the greater of the two people in their mind. And this is this, is this third part. This is actually the part that John addresses to his disciples when he talks to them. That's what he's talking about when he says, you know, he's the groom, guys. I'm just the best man. The groom is always the most important one. It's always just about the groom, okay? So don't don't get caught up on anything else. Um, And this is also going to be the part that John the Apostle addresses down there beginning in verse 31. Um, It's really the big idea of this text, guys. This is really the big idea of this text, which is why isn't John the Baptist as big a deal as Jesus of Nazareth? Okay, that's what this story, that's what this section of the Bible really addresses. Now, and I'm gonna talk about this big idea, but I'm really only gonna address it at the end of my message, and let me tell you why. Because I don't think for many of you or most of you sitting out there, that's not a question that you have in your mind. You're not asking why isn't John the baptizer bigger than Jesus of Nazareth. You're just assuming Jesus is the more important of the two, okay? It's Jesus, right? Of course, he's more important than John the Baptist, John the baptizer. Um, but I want to, I think there's probably some other questions that this text raises, and uh, we're going to talk about those for a little bit before we get to that last section. Uh, two in particular. One is, what is, it, what is the meaning of baptism? When Jesus is baptizing in John chapter 3, what, is bapt- what does baptism mean in chapter 3? Uh, and secondly, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, those are two really big topics. I want to say a few things about those, but I think those are probably the questions that we would have today that are going on here. And now, both John and Jesus are baptizing at the same time. Don't forget that. Don't leave that part out. They're baptizing at the same time. And uh, this is true until John gets arrested and ultimately beheaded. And so the question is, Is the it, so because they're baptizing at the same time, is the baptism that they're doing mean exactly the same thing? Or in the same way that John had stepped up water purification and changed it into a symbol for repentance, had Jesus then already taken baptism and stepped it up again another step to mean something else closer to what we 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 see it as today all right so that's the that's the big question there um now keep in keep in mind as well jesus has not revealed himself as the messiah nobody knows except john the baptizer okay nobody knows john that jesus is the messiah john is the only one who knows at this point um And uh, so when you you go in and you look at the text, this is a place probably where all of the commentators, all of the people who, who are scholarly study the text, all of them agree at this particular point that what Jesus is doing in John chapter three is exactly the same as what John the Baptist is doing. They're baptizing at the same time and they're both baptizing with a baptism with the same meaning. It's a baptism of repentance for people to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. Now, in a little bit, we're going to talk about what we believe about baptism because as Christianity advanced, we developed a little bit different understanding. It means more than just repentance to us. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, but but I would just caution you, don't bring a post-resurrection understanding of baptism and read it back into this text in John chapter 3 uh, because you have to keep in mind that the law... The law, which is God's covenant with Israel, is still in place until the resurrection occurs, guys. God's covenant with his people through Moses, through the law, is still fully in effect until the resurrection takes place. And then only then can you have the beginning of a new covenant, okay? And another word for covenant is the word testament, so we have the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and the New Testament and the New Covenant. But that New Covenant can't start until Jesus rises from the dead. All right. So we have a little bit different understanding. And again, we're going to talk about that. Uh, but our understanding of baptism comes directly from Jesus' death and his resurrection. Now the second big question here that we're going to look at this this in this text is the, is the question of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a, there's a lot of views out there about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there, are, there are people that are gonna disagree with what I'm gonna say today. And some of you sitting here today may disagree with what I'm gonna say about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna keep this pretty light and pretty straightforward. Uh, there are some groups which te- treat the Holy Spirit as something which marks a person who is who's just really spiritual. So when, for example, when you get into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it talks about the divisions there in, the, in, in Corinth, some of that was over baptism. I got baptized by Paul, and I got baptized by Peter, and I got baptized by somebody else. And, and Paul says, don't do that. But there was a, there was a group in there which was also uh, really focused on the Holy Spirit and on spiritual gifts, which he addresses a little bit later in the, in the process of that and um, uh, who really felt like they were more spiritual because of the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life, they felt like they were more spiritual than the other Christians who were there in the city of Corinth. And some of that idea has carried over into the church today. Now, there are also some groups I think which use the Holy Spirit as a, a second or an additional blessing. You have ordinary Christianity. You have those who, who, who believe in Jesus and follow in Jesus. But then you have another group. It's kind of like, a, a, it's like a, a, an ex, a, another gear, okay, in your transmission. There's another higher speed out there. And those are the people who have this additional blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if it's not apparent to you at this point... I'm not for either one of those two particular ideas. I don't think that the Holy Spirit is there to, to uh, mark people who are ex- exceptionally more spiritual than other people. And I don't think God gives the Holy Spirit, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as, a, as an extra gear there to move you into another speed, a higher speed. All right? So what do we believe then about water baptism and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Uh. So let me just throw a statement up. It's going to be on the screen. Water baptism is something external, it's designed to show how something has changed on the inside. So we, we do water baptism as a symbol, as a sign, as a, to show that something has happened on the inside of us, and we're marking that change by using a water baptism. So I wanna say three things about this, and I had to choose really between putting my points on the screen and the text of scripture on the screen. I went with the text, because I think the scripture is more important than what I have to say. So I'm gonna give you the point, and then we're gonna read, read a scripture together, okay? So number one, we baptize because Christ commanded us to do this. So if you're taking notes, we do it because Christ commanded us to do it, all right? So in Matthew 28 is one of the clear places to see this. Uh, Most of you are familiar with this passage, but let me just read it. You follow along on the screen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Folks, those who follow Christ follow him in baptism. Those who follow Christ follow him in baptism because Jesus, uh, Jesus himself was baptized, not because Jesus needed to repent. Jesus was the Messiah, he didn't need to repent to get ready for the Messiah, but he submitted to the baptism of John, why? Because he set an example for us to follow in being baptized, all right? Um, Jesus framed making disciples as going and baptizing and teaching. Those are the three action words there, he's make disciples. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna do that by going and baptizing and teaching them all of these things. Secondly, second thing that we believe about baptism is baptism is a symbol, okay, of us being joined to Christ. It's a symbol of us being joined to Christ. Romans chapter 6 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Guys, baptism is a symbol of Jesus dying and being buried and rising from the dead. And uh, Paul taught the church in Rome that when we follow him in baptism, we are symbolically acknowledging the fact that we have been joined with Christ in a mystical way and I, and I have to use the word mystical there guys because there is no logical explanation to explain any other things. Paul says you are either not in Christ or you are in Christ. And when you are in Christ, it is a very mystical kind of thing. You are suddenly Different. Your status before God has suddenly changed when you are in Christ. And baptism is a a picture of this. It says that we, we participate in a way in his death so that we might participate also in the future in his resurrection. This means our old life dies and we live as a new person in Christ. Third thing I want to say about baptism this morning is that we see baptism as a public profession of our faith. And we've, I've I've kind of talked all the way around this, but there it is plain. We see baptism as a public profession of our faith in Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Guys, in the same way that circumcision was a visible sign, okay, not so much visible in the marketplace, right? But circumcision was a visible sign. If you ever wanted to make sure, is this person really Jewish or not? Okay, there was a physical way you could visibly verify whether that person had signed in to the covenant of the law by whether or not that male was circumcised or not. In the same way, Paul says that we were, uh, our covenant with God uh, is marked not by circumcision anymore, but by baptism. Baptism has become the visible marker of our commitment to Christ, and that's how we publicly proclaim our commitment, our covenant in Christ to each other. All right? Now, uh, if water bat- baptism is external, let's talk a little bit about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, statement again on the screen, and I'll just read it to you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, is an internal reality designed to be externally evident to everyone who encounters us. It's an internal reality designed to be externally evident to everybody who encounters us. First first point here is that God gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift, guys, a genuine gift. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift when we get saved. When we come to faith in Christ, we get saved. The Holy Spirit, and I'm I'm here to tell you, folks, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not in Christ. You cannot separate those two pieces. Um, Ephesians chapter one, and I'm going to get both of my points out of this one verse here. It says, "In Him, in Christ, in Christ, you also." When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Notice there's two things in this verse, and these are these are really the, the two points. We get the Holy Spirit when we believe, okay? It says, it says in there very clearly, when you heard the word of truth, which was the gospel, the gospel of salvation, and you believed, it says you were sealed with. The Holy Spirit okay and secondly that the the second idea in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is God's seal or mark on us that we belong to him so God just doesn't have our name in a book somewhere although we talk about having our name in the Lamb's Book of Life right God has marked us individually as believers in Christ by putting, it says his seal there, and it doesn't mean, that's not like a, a Ziploc bag seal, guys. That's the old-fashioned seal where they would pour wax and they would put a, put a stamp, an official seal into that wax so that you would know whose authority, who represented that, who that message was because you knew You recognize that seal, and God has put a recognizable seal on our lives, a mark. He's marked every one of us, and that mark he has put on us is his Holy Spirit. Now, the ESV translates guarantee there in verse 14 because the the word there is is a word that we don't don't really use anymore. It literally means earnest, that the, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. We don't talk about that anymore, and we don't. I think in real estate they still use the earnest money down on a transaction, okay? But it's kind of going out of vogue and basically earnest money is money that you put down to guarantee that you're gonna go through the deal, right? You put your earnest money in and it shows that you're sincere, you're earnest and you're gonna follow through with your commitment on whatever that contract is, whatever it is that you put your money down and it's like a deposit and some of your translations will use the word deposit And that's okay as long as you understand that it's a non-refundable deposit, okay? It can't be taken back. And um, uh, it means you are committed. And guys, God has forgiven us, he's given us the Holy Spirit and forgiven us to show that he's committed to our salvation in a way that he is not gonna back up from. He's not gonna do that, he's not gonna back away from it. And that leads to other things we believe about whether or not a person could lose their salvation. But I'm gonna stop here because I still haven't talked about the big idea of the text yet. And Cody will have plenty of, plenty of time to talk about that down the road. So why is Jesus greater than John the Baptist? Most of you believe he is. Why is he greater than John the Baptizer? All right? If there's one thing that John understood clearly, he understood that he was not the Messiah you've heard of a Messiah complex right sometimes it, it maybe it's it's maybe it's in a pulpit somewhere maybe it's a CA, CEO of a company maybe it's a politician you know the person who believes that they're the savior of whatever it is either of the of the church or of the company or of the nation and and that everything hinges on them and everything has to be about them and 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 guys John the baptizer did not have a Messiah complex He understood clearly that he was not the Messiah because, guys, he got to see something. God revealed supernaturally something to him that was not revealed to the rest of Christianity until John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation. God showed him that the Messiah was going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you, you've heard that phrase, and it, and it maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but a lamb who takes away sin, guys, is a sacrificial lamb. And God showed him that the Messiah was not going to come riding in on a great white horse. He was not going to come in and lead an army, and he was not going to conquer the Romans. He was coming in to do a completely bigger work than that, and that work was going to be he was going to defeat Satan and not the Romans. But he was going to do it by dying. And, and that's why he says in verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. And guys, don't skip the must there. He must increase and I must decrease. So let's just read those last few verses again. I wanna just read with you verses 31 to 36 again, and we're gonna kind of close with those. And, but I want you to notice that the speaker has shifted So it's no longer John the baptizer who's talking here. It's John the apostle because John John wants to jump on this. This is why John has included this particular story. He has something he wants to say to us about Jesus, and he says it right here. So beginning in verse 31, it says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. And he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. And whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. Okay, his mark, his approval, sets his seal to this that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. And the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John says Jesus comes from heaven. He doesn't come from earth. He says those who who, who is of the earth, he belongs to the earth, and he speaks in an earthly way, but that's not Jesus. You know, John uh, the baptizer is a man who is called by God to lead people to repent. He is a prophet. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's doing exactly what God has called him to do. But folks, John, the baptizer, is just a man. And he understands his manhood. And Jesus is not a man in the way that we think of men. Because... He's, he's not a man who became God. He's not a man who was just really spiritual and worked his way up to godhood somewhere along the way. He, he's not a man who, 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 who was divinely possessed by the Holy Spirit or some other divine power so that he became divine by virtue of being totally possessed by this divinity. His origin is heaven, but he's not an angel sent down from heaven, okay, to, to do these things and, and, and to try to save us. He, he does come from heaven and he takes on flesh he becomes fully human he takes on flesh and becomes fully human to walk with us, but guys, his humanity is just recent history. He was God and he is God, and he will be God from all eternity on in 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 this 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 His humanity part, his human part, is is just a recent thing. It only happened just a mere 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus talks about the Father or talks about heaven, it's from his personal experience. It's things that he has seen and heard and literally touched in heaven, and he's bringing those down and he's sharing with us. And so uh, verse 32, it says, literally... It, it is so connected with the reality that is in heaven that he says, John says that when Jesus speaks and we believe it, we're actually believing God the Father when Jesus says it. I mean, John had the Holy Spirit, but he couldn't give even one other person the Holy Spirit. Yet it says that Jesus is going to give the Holy Spirit without measure. John says that, that, that the Father put all things into Jesus' hand. Guys, if Jesus is in control of all things, that makes him the sovereign of the universe. In in, in verse 31, then, is really the summary. He who is from above is above all. It's so important he says it twice in that same verse. He who is from above is above all. And guys, some of these things about Jesus are hard for people to believe today. How could someone that, that we could see and touch as a man really be all of these things? But I think one of the hardest things that is really the, the end of this passage there in verse 36, uh, because if what, if what John says is true, if these things are true about Jesus, and I want you to think about that for a second. If these things are true about Jesus, if we believe them, guys, then if... If Jesus really is from heaven and not from the earth, if if when he speaks it really is the very words of God himself, if he truly is above all and he has all things in his hand, guys, then to reject Jesus is to reject God himself and everything that God has to offer. So... It actually makes sense in verse 36 when it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And guys, notice that, that, that believing and obeying are absolutely, in this sentence, equal to each other so that you could switch those and say that, that he, whoever obeys the son has eternal life and whoever does not believe in the son shall not see life. You haven't changed the meaning of this text at all because believing and obeying are exactly the same meaning in this verse. We talked about Jesus becoming a man. Why would Jesus come from heaven and become a man? it's because he needed to die he had to be a man to die to be the lamb of God the sacrificial lamb the lamb had to be sacrificed and it was sacrificed for us on that cross and and guys that 's the gospel and, and, and Jesus did that not so that we could be ceremonially clean, but so that we could be actually cleansed from our sin, clean for real you know in in just a moment we're going to uh, to do a celebration that we do every week here at Redeemer, and that's to uh, remember uh, the broken body and, and the shed blood of Jesus. And you, you can see that we have a communion table here and there's one in the back on both sides and two here at the front. And in just a moment, we're, the, the band is gonna come back up uh, while I pray and we're gonna sing a song. And, and during that song, guys, that's, that's a time of reflection for you to think about not only the, the message today, but it's an invitation to, uh, to worship God by taking from this table. And so if you're a, if you're a believer today and, and your testimony is, yes, this is what Jesus Christ has done for me. I know that I'm in Christ. I, I know and sense the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in my life. Then, then we invite you to participate with us. But if you're, if you're still kicking the tires, if you're still checking out Christianity, then then this celebration is something that you still have in front of you yet. It's something that you'll, you'll do after You've taken that step and you've invited Christ into your life. Um, it, it is a celebration, but guys, you can't celebrate something that hasn't happened yet in your heart and in your life. And so we're going to ask you to, to worship with us, to be here with us. Uh, we're, glad, we're so glad that you're here. But, but this step, this part, is for those people who know that they're in Christ. They know that they've, uh, they've participated with Jesus in this way. Um, Joined with him. And so uh, let, me, let me just pray as we walk into this time. And again, the band's gonna come up here while I'm praying, and we're gonna sing a song. And during that song, if your heart is in the right place as a believer and follower of Christ, then during that song, at some point, if you would come up and get uh, those elements and take those back to your seat with you, and then Davis is gonna come up here, and he's gonna lead us and walk us through uh, this celebration together.